to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. I'm so glad that today we're going to be able to jump back into our series on the story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. We've been looking at that over a period of time, taking a break from time to time, and today we're going to be looking at a place in Luke chapter 9. I want to start off, as I often do, with a question to get you thinking along the lines of what God wants to speak to us about. Have you ever sensed, or maybe you didn't sense it, you just know that God was asking you to do something that seemed impossible. Has God ever asked you to do something that seems impossible? Now, I'm not even talking about him giving you a dream or a vision or a word or speaking to your heart or whatever and saying, listen, I want you to go out and heal 20 people this week, you know? I want you to go out and, you know, uh, go down to the creek bank and part the water. You know, some of the miracles that we see in the Bible, I'm not even talking about that kind of impossible thing. I'm talking about things like, God, you really want me to love that person? I have a hard time getting along with them. I have a hard time being civil with them. And I live with them. No, we don't want to add that last one there. I go to school with them. I work. You know, you really want me to love that person? God, you, you really want me to put you first in my finances? Have you seen my checkbook, my credit card statement, the pile of bills? Lay? God, you really want me to put you first in my finances? God, you really want me to treat my fill in the blank? My wife, my husband, my kids this way when they don't respect me, when they seem to fight against me, when they... Really, God? That seems almost impossible. God, that really is the lifestyle you want me to live? In light of the way our culture is, in light of the way things are going in our world and what's accepted and what's not accepted and the opposition I might face, you really want me to live that way? God, you really want me to tell the truth in this situation where if I do, it's going to cause me untold pain, difficulty, and cost? God, you really want me to be involved in that ministry? I, I don't think I can do that kind of thing. I mean, it applies to just about every area of life. And again, not just in these miraculous ways that we would often think of as miraculous, but in very practical ways, ways in which God speaks to us through his word, through our hearts, And it's like, God, I can't do that. Maybe somebody else, but for me, that's impossible. At least I think it is. But we're going to see the disciples of Jesus facing that situation today. And I think we're going to learn some things about why God does that and what he wants to do through that and how he wants us to respond to that and how God wants to do a whole lot more stuff in our lives and through our lives than we could ever dream or imagine. And even though it seems impossible, God's going to help us do whatever he calls us to do. The title of our message today is You Give Them Something. And the emphasis, I didn't say it that way, I should have. The emphasis is on you. You. 
Jesus and the disciples are in a situation where something needs to be done and the disciples make a suggestion that Jesus do something. And Jesus says, no, you. You guys. And what he suggests they do is impossible for the disciples. But they're going to end up doing it anyway. The background to our story, which we're going to read in just a moment in Luke's chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 10. But the background is that Jesus has been working with and developing relationship with his disciples for a while now. And he says, okay, it's time for you guys to go out and do some stuff. All right. The beginning of the chapter, he says, listen, guys, I'm going to give you my authority. And for the time being, I'm going to even give you my power. And I'm going to send you out two by two. I'm not going with you. You guys are just going to go out in pairs and you're going to go around to all these different cities and towns and you're going to tell people about the gospel. You're going to tell them about the kingdom of God. You're going to be able to heal people just like I've been healing people. And it probably scared them to death. But they went out and did it and they were able to do it. Well, there's an example of them doing stuff that's impossible anyway, but that's not even getting to our story yet. And they come back and they're all excited about what God did through them. And as we pick up the story, it's right at the time they come back. Now, one of the other Gospels tell us that at this exact same time, Jesus and the disciples get word that John the Baptist has been executed by King Herod, which is a terrible thing. But especially in light of the fact that John the Baptist is the one that God used to prepare the way for Jesus, and not just in that official position, but John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin or some other kind of close relation um, because the words used there are, are a little nebulous, but he was very—he was related to Jesus and they were close and, and, and he'd been put to death. And not only that, but several that we know of, maybe even more than those several of Jesus' disciples started out as disciples of John the Baptist. And they loved him. They were close to him. They had followed him and ministered with him and helped him for who knows how long before Jesus came along. And John says, follow him. Don't follow me. And so they be, so you can imagine the disciples have come back. Jesus is always ministering, always doing stuff. You know, people are always there demand, not demanding so much, but, but, but they're, they need his attention. They need his touch and they're tired. A little bit of excitement because of what God's done, but they're tired. And they're sad. John has been put to death. So that's the background of our story. And Jesus says, we need a vacation. Now, the word vacation is not in there, but the vacation's in there. He says, we got to get away. We got to get away to decompress. We got to get away to rest. One of the other gospels says they were so busy, they didn't even have time to eat. You're busy if you don't have time to eat. So let's look at the story. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 10. On their return, talking about the disciples coming back from this ministry trip, on their return, the apostles told Jesus all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now, they didn't want the people following them, the other gospels. This this particular story is found in all four gospels. In fact, there's a miracle in this story. You guys are going to recognize it. You already probably know where I'm going. But this is the only miracle except for the resurrection that's found in all four Gospels. Okay. So they didn't want people... So they get into a boat. They're only going to go about three or four miles away, but they can go across the water. So they get into a boat to go across the water. The only problem is the people see where they're going and they start walking along the shore. Well, anyways, pick up the story here. On their return, the apostles told him what they had done. And Jesus took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him. They walked around the shoreline. 
And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we're here in a desolate place. It says they were going toward Bethsaida, but it was basically the region around Bethsaida was this kind of desert, desert-like. There's nothing else around, and Bethsaida was a real small town, smaller than the crowd that gathered to talk to Jesus. And they said, Lord, it's getting late. These guys got to have some place to, to spend the night. They need some food. Uh, before it gets too dark, you better send them away so they can make their way back around the lake to other towns and such. And he says, we're in a desolate place. Verse 13. But Jesus said to them, you give them something. There's the title of our message. You give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. John tells us that they actually borrowed that from a little boy who'd brought that for his lunch, probably. We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. John also says that Philip says we we couldn't do that if we had enough that we would have earned in almost a year's worth of work. We don't have the money. We don't have the food. How are we supposed to do this? For there were about 5,000 men. Now, if there's 5,000 men and there's women and maybe some kids... A conservative estimate would be there'd be at least 10,000 people. There could have been as many as 20,000 if they really came out with their families. Big crowd. And Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. It's easy to kind of pass right by that. In other words, it didn't turn out that they each had a snack. They had a full meal's worth. They ate, and no matter how hungry they were, they were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. My opinion just reading into the text, it's not in the Bible. I have a feeling that each of the disciples had a basket, whether they brought it with them, borrowed it from somebody. And so as Jesus began to have them distribute, they were using the basket to distribute. And when it was all done, they took those baskets and began to collect. However, they they had 12 baskets, probably each disciple. And when they were all done, not only was everybody filled to satisfaction, but they had 12 full baskets of leftovers. They were good for a while. You know... That's a story that's very well-known. Probably one of the most well-known stories from Jesus' life. I doubt that there's anybody here today or you're watching online or listening to this later. They say, I have never, ever heard of that story because it's so well-known. And often when we contemplate that story or someone preaches or teaches from it, the focus is on the fact that Jesus can do the impossible. Whatever need you have in your life, Jesus can touch you at the point of your need. And that lesson is certainly there. And we see that lesson all through the Gospels, all through Jesus' life, all through Jesus' ministry. And we've heard that before. And I would venture to say there's a good number of people that are here, right here today, or watching online, or maybe even listening to this lady say, you know, that's where I'm at right now. I've got some needs in my life. I don't know what's going to happen. 
I, I don't know how this situation is going to be resolved. And I think all of us would probably relate to how I opened the service with things that God asks us to do, whether it's in our relationship or our finances or the, our lifestyle or, or our involvement in ministry, that it's like, God, I don't think I can do this. I just want to tell you in passing, because we're going a different direction, that God loves you and God knows about your need, and you keep taking it to Him and trusting that He's going to work in your situation. But that's not what we're going to focus so much on today. I want to focus on what Jesus was calling the disciples to do and what He calls us to do. Jesus called His disciples to do the impossible, but He didn't call them to do it by themselves. And often, as we've already talked about, he calls us to do what seems to be impossible. But if he calls us to do it, he's not asking us to do it all by ourselves. And so that's what I want us to take a look at today. This lesson that he is teaching his disciples. He says, you give them something. And I believe he tells us the same thing today. You give him something. You give them something. You, you do this. You're coming to me, and that's fine. We should always pray about our needs and what's going on in our life. But he's saying, there's something I want you to do about this, even if it seems impossible. Because just like that day, there are people all around us in our life. Our family, our co-workers, the kids at school, the young people at school, our neighbors, um, people we come into contact with, and they have great needs. We just mentioned we have our own needs and God loves us, wants to take care of us. But we have people all around us that have all kinds of needs and God wants to use us to meet their needs. Many times it's to point them to the solution, which is Jesus. But he also wants to use us in practical ways and we can get so caught up in our own lives and our own needs that we're not carrying out what God wants to do, the phenomenal things that God wants to do in us and through us to touch other people. And so we don't hear as much about that, so that's what I want to focus on today. Jesus says, you give them something. Well, what does that mean? What does Jesus want us to do? What does Jesus want us to do? Now, that can be very particular. I gave you several examples at the beginning of the message. We can make a whole list of things that God wants all of us to do from his word. As I said, as far as lifestyle and and involve different things, you know. But it can also be very particular in the sense that God may speak to you about doing something specific for a specific person. But can I tell you that whatever God asks us to do, it will fall in the same general categories that we see in this story. What do I mean by that? Well, let's take a look at this. Three things I want to mention just very, very quickly. We've talked about them before, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. He wants us to do the same thing that Jesus did and what he had already told his disciples to do. Let's just go back and review real quick. At the beginning of Luke chapter 9, in verse 1, it says, And Jesus called the twelve together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Verse 6, it says, And they departed, went through all the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Verse 11, this is talking about, uh, we just read it a moment ago, once they got to the other side and the crowds were there, and it says, when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So what is it that Jesus did? What did he ask his disciples to do? And what does he ask us to do, at least in general? The first thing is this. 
Welcome the people God brings into your life. I use the word welcome deliberately. I, I almost put for this point, just love people. Really, all this is just all about loving people and doing the practical things that come out of that, doing the things that God asks us to do out of that, to love people. But I use the word welcome because that's the word that it uses here for Jesus. It says that Jesus, tired, disciples, tired, need to get away for a rest, a break, a vacation, and all these people show up wanting his attention. And instead of him saying, hey, we're closed today, go home. Or instead of being grouchy and gripey, it says he welcomed them. I think we understand what the word welcome means. According to definition, it means to accept or to receive. To greet the coming of a person with pleasure or kindly courtesy. To gladly receive. And again, it's part of loving others. And we all know what it's like to go somewhere and feel welcome. We also know what it's like to go somewhere and feel unwelcome, right? God tells us through Paul that this is part of our responsibility uh, as believers and part of one aspect of loving one another. In Romans 15, 7, he says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And I could do a whole sermon on that and the fact that how does Christ welcome us? He welcomes us. In all of our mess. He welcomes us even in our rebellion when we turn to him. He welcomes us in spite of. And God's word says we're to welcome others that way. You know, we hear testimonies many times of people who come to visit our church. And uh, I can't tell you over the last 18 years how many times I've been told, man, the people are just so loving. The people are just so welcoming. We just felt so um, appreciated, so welcome. We just felt at home. And, and many of those people stay here. And that's why some of you are here. But it also makes me wonder how many people perhaps come and they don't feel that way. I hope not many. But because we're all humans, there may be some that would come here and it just happened to be that day. Maybe they didn't get the attention. Maybe they came with a chip on their shoulder. I don't know. But it's like, I didn't feel real welcome there. But our goal as a church, and we talk about it often, and I know that it's your heart, that we want to make everybody that comes to this church feel welcome by us and by God because it's God's love that's working in and through us. If people come here and they decide they don't want to come back, we don't want it to be because... They don't feel, they feel like we don't love them, that we didn't care about them, that we didn't welcome them. If people come here and they don't come back because they just happen to be visiting, they live somewhere else, okay. If people come here and they don't come back because they say, hey, that was a nice church, but it's just really not my style, that's okay. If people come here and they don't come back because we preach and teach God's word as it is, and we say, hey, this is what God's word says, and this is how you're supposed to live, and this is how we please God, and it doesn't line up with what's going on in their life, and they say, I don't want to go back there. That's okay, we're not going to change the message. But my plan and my hope would be every single one of those people and any others you could list any other categories of why they wouldn't come back. It wouldn't be because they didn't feel loved and that they didn't feel welcomed. So what does God call us to do? Welcome the people, love the people that he brings into our life. And not just here at church, I just use that as an illustration. In our homes, in our workplace, at school, in our community, wherever we go, we need to love people. And you know, sometimes that's easy. 
How many of you have a lot of people it's easy to love? Now, if you don't have a lot of people it's easy to love, maybe you're not so easy to love. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon you can examine your heart. Okay. You know, we all got lots of people it's easy to love. How many of you have some it's not easy to love them, but you're trying your hardest? And it's, it's okay. It's, it's okay to... How many of you find you got some people in love? It's hard to love. It's, it's, how many of you say you got some people? It's almost impossible for me. See, that's where the impossible thing comes in. Okay. God doesn't just call us to love the people it's easy to love and those that it's like, okay, it's not easy, but I can, but he calls us to love people that it's impossible to love. How do we do that? I'll get to that in a moment. Second thing God wants us to do is to introduce people to Jesus. The people we talked about before that are in need, that are all around us, they need Jesus. We needed Jesus. Maybe you're here today, you're watching online, you're listening, and you need Jesus. We all need a Savior. We see in Jesus' example, it says that he went around and he didn't just heal people and, 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 and feed people like he does in this story, but he, he spoke to them about the truth. He came to give them hope. It says specifically that he was constantly talking about the kingdom of God and the gospel. Today, we know the gospel to be the story of Jesus and how he came and he died upon the cross to pay the price for our sins. That's the good news. That's what the word gospel means. That as we put our trust in him, our sins can be forgiven. And he comes in and makes us new and we have a relationship with him, a relationship that not only benefits us and affects this life here, but also affects all of eternity. Because it takes us away from our destination of an eternity without God to a destination of an eternity with God and all that is good and all that God has prepared and planned for his people. People need Jesus. And so when Jesus was going around, he was telling them about the kingdom of God. He couldn't tell them the full gospel that we know today because he hadn't died yet. But the kingdom of God, what the people were waiting was God to intervene in history. Send the Messiah who is going to deliver them. Now, they thought it was all about physical deliverance, and they couldn't wait till the Messiah came and kicked the Romans out. That's why many people didn't accept Jesus, because he didn't come then to kick the Romans out. He came to take care of the bigger problem, the sin problem. But Jesus told them the truth they needed to hear. He told them the truth they were hoping for. There is a solution. God is involved. God is actively working. And he and John the Baptist before him said, you need to participate, repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe. That message is still the same. We come to know Jesus by repenting of our sins and by believing, putting our faith, hope and trust in him and what he did upon the cross to pay the price for our sins. It's also what he told the disciples to go out and preach. Go out and preach the kingdom. Go out and share the gospel, the good news. We need to introduce people to Jesus. He's the only one who can truly meet their needs. But that's scary. We've talked about that many times. It's not only scary, but it's hard. And we get concerned. If I talk with people about Jesus, especially in the climate of our culture that we have today, we thought it was hard 10 years ago. It's even harder today. If I do that, not only might I be rejected by people I care about, I might be mocked. I might be ostracized. There may be some cost to me. If I, if people know I'm a Christian and I, I'm willing to talk about Jesus at work, it could hold me back in my career. 
And things are getting to the place in our country that if the course it's headed does not change, there could be and will be much greater consequences that those of us who truly are believers may face for being believers and taking a stand for our faith and even lovingly sharing the gospel. So it is scary. We are concerned about the consequences. And because of that, we hold back. It may seem almost impossible, and God says, no, I'm going to help you. I know it's hard. I know it's scary. I know you're afraid of the consequences, but this is what I want you to do, and I'm going to help you with it. The third thing is meet people's needs as God provides. Again, we see it in the story. Jesus, you know, his primary focus was telling them the good news about the kingdom of God and God wanting to get involved in their lives, but in the process, he met their needs. He healed people. He raised the dead. He, he, he fed them in this story. And then there's another story where he fed them another time. Delivered them from demonic powers. He met them at the point of their need. And it wasn't just to prove he was who he said he was. Although that certainly is a very important reason why he did it. To show that he really was the one sent from God. But because the people were hurting. And he wanted to help them. And in the same way he calls us to meet people's needs as we're able or as he provides. Because we look at our own resources and say, well, I can do this, but I can't do that. And sometimes God says, but I want you to do that. Just like he told the disciples here, you give them something. There may be times we become aware of a need and God says, I want you to do something about that. And we're like, I can't. (laughs) And God says, I want you to do it. Yeah. I want you to meet people's needs as God provides. I love this one little short statement in Acts chapter 4, verse 34. It was talking about the early church and how much they loved one another and loved people. And it said there was not a needy person among them. And it wasn't because God had phenomenally, miraculously met all their needs. It wasn't because they didn't reach out to poor people. In fact, the great majority of the early church were the poor and the downtrodden because those are the people, well, God came to save, Jesus came to save everybody, but those are the people that responded. But the reason there weren't any needs is because they loved each other so much that they did whatever they could to meet each other's needs. We need to meet People's needs as God provides, and not just the physical or financial ones, but the emotional and the relational needs. And sometimes those can cost even more because it requires time. To becoming a friend to that person that it's hard to be a friend to because they've got so much baggage that they always want to talk about, and but they need someone. To be a, a friend to someone who has no other friends, and there's a good reason why. God says, meet their need. Do it in my name. It seems impossible. But the whole point of this story and the whole point of what I believe God wants to lay on our hearts today is that Jesus wants us to do even more than we think we can. Just like the disciples. And just like he demonstrated in this story. If we read this story in the Gospel of John, each of the Gospels, all the stories totally agree, but each one has a little bit different details. Just like if you ask four different people that witness something, what they remember about it, they're going to have the same basic story, but they're going to have different details that come out of it. But when we read about it in John, it says specifically that Jesus told them that they should be the one to do it because he was testing them. He was trying to teach them. He was trying to train them. He wanted them to realize something. And what is it that he wanted them to realize? That if they depended on him, they could do much more than they ever thought. If they depended on him... 
they could do the impossible if it's what he wanted them to do. But we have the same objection today as they had then, right? What is the objection? I can't. If we had $5 for every time we feel like we're supposed to do something and our response is, I can't, we could pay off a lot of debt. I can't. There's so many things that come our way that we think may be required of us or as I can't. Lots of different reasons, lots of different excuses. For the disciples, it's like, well, we, we, you know, this need is too big. There's too many people. There's not enough money. There's not enough food. I want you to put this in perspective. It says there's 5,000 men. As I said, there's probably at least 10,000 people. Let's just stick with 10,000 people. Probably more than that. You know, men, wives, children, maybe not all the men are married, but people have a child or two or whatever, maybe four, five, six, because children were a great blessing. They had a lot of them back then. I don't know. Let's just sit with 10,000 people. If there were... You know what? Let's go 12,000 people because there's 12 disciples. Let's make this simple. 12,000 uh, 12, people, 12 disciples, and Jesus says, you feed them. So that means 1,000 for each disciple. And what do they have? Five loaves, two fishes. These loaves are not big, giant loaves. They're about the size of a dinner roll. Remember, this is a boy's lunch. Now, the mathematics doesn't work out exactly, but that basically is a half a dinner roll for each disciple. Two fish. Divide that thing up, you got about a sixth of a fish for each disciple. So each disciple is, has about, at their disposal, a half a dinner roll and a sixth of a fish. And these aren't the big uh, salmon or tuna or whatever you might see, you know, in the television. These are the little fish from the Sea of Galilee. Some said they're about the size of a sardine, maybe. Half a dinner roll. A sixth of a fish. That's not enough to fill a disciple. The whole five loaves and two fishes wasn't enough probably to fill any of the disciples. He said, okay, each of you take this half of a dinner roll and a sixth of a fish and go out and feed a thousand. No wonder they said it's impossible. But they did it. They did it. What was the key? Jesus didn't ask them to do it alone. Jesus told them what to do, and he enabled them to do it. You know, in the same way, we can feel so overwhelmed. Lately, I've been involved in a number of conversations with our elders and with other people um, about the condition of our world. And, it's, it, you know, we thought it was a mess 20 years ago, and then 10 years ago, it's got so much worse, and now we look at the world, it's like, my goodness. And we're supposed to make a difference in our world. It's impossible. How in the world can we do that? We, we see the needs in our own nation. We see the needs in our state, our, our county, our own community, our own lives, our own families, our own marriage. And it just seems so overwhelming. And one of the reasons why is because we look at the resources we have and we see our lack. We see what we don't have to bring to the table. We see what we don't have to offer. And the whole point is that Jesus wants us to stop looking at what we don't have or the little that we have compared to need, but instead to look to him and to look at his sufficiency. Here's the point, and I've said it a couple of times, maybe not exact these words, but Jesus will enable us to do whatever he asks us to do. Jesus will enable us to do whatever he asks us to do. We say, I can't. Jesus says, 
I can. And I can through you, if you're willing. I can, and I can help you do it. So, what should we do? Simply, it is whatever Jesus tells us to do. We'll say, well, well, but wait a minute. You just said Jesus may say, well, do this. It seems impossible. How do we actually carry that out? Well, that's what I want to tell you. We do what Jesus says to do. And we're going to see an example of the steps in this story. Not the exact same things, but the principles behind them. And the first one is this, is you need to follow Jesus. You see, Jesus is not telling the crowd to feed each other or themselves. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to those who have already made a commitment to follow him. Now, this would seem to be kind of obvious, but I would just say if you really want Jesus to work in and through your life, you need to choose to follow him. You need to know him as Savior. You need to serve him as Lord. Follow Jesus. And just real quickly, in case it wasn't clear before, the God's word says that we need Jesus as Savior because we're all sinners separated from God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death, not just physical death, but spiritual death, which is separation from God, and that separation will be for all eternity. In a place the Bible calls hell, and there's all kinds of descriptions and images of hell and fire and this, that, and the other, and just all kinds of debate. Is it literal? Is it figurative? You know, whatever. I have no problem believing it's literal. I have no problem believing that when we get there, it's fine as it wasn't literal, but it's figurative, and it actually describes something that's a whole lot worse than literal fire. Because you see, it means that we're going to be totally and completely separated from God for all eternity. And some people say, well, I don't care. I'm just going to have a great party with my friends. But you see, God is the source of all that is good. And when God and good is removed, all that you have left is evil and darkness and pain. That's the eternity people face. And God says, I don't want people to face that. So he didn't leave that verse to just stop at the wages of sin is death. It goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. To basically summarize the whole story of the whole Bible is that Jesus, God himself, came to earth, became man, God and man both, and lived the life that we cannot live, the perfect life, and died a death he did not deserve deliberately to pay the price for our sins. So that if we turn to him and we believe that, You know, I said, repent and believe, repent and believe. That's always been the message all through the Gospels and John. Even in the Old Testament, repent of your sins and put your faith back into God. We repent of our sins. That's what separated us from God. And we believe in what Jesus did for us. We put our faith, hope, and trust in that and surrender our lives to him. And so I would say the most important thing you can do to apply this message, even though it's not the main point for those of us that are believers, is to surrender your life to Christ. And choose to follow Jesus. So first of all, we should follow Jesus. Second thing is give Jesus what you have. We see that in the story when they say, we got these five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus said, hey, give them here. It was easy for the disciples to give them because they weren't really theirs. But you know what? The little boy gave it up. I doubt they wrestled the little boy to the ground to seize his lunch. I don't know how it came about, but somehow the little boy found out Jesus needed it. And he says, here it is. It's the same thing that God says, if you'll do this, you'll be amazed at what I'll do in and through you. Surrender yourself. Surrender what you have. Give Jesus what you have. 
what do you have? Got ourselves, all kinds of resources, time, talents, and all these things God gave us anyway. Money, opportunity, education, knowledge, wisdom. What we see in this story is that Jesus will use whatever we surrender to him. And not only will he use whatever we surrender to him, but he will multiply whatever we surrender to him. He multiplied these loaves and fishes. That's how these five loaves and two small fish fed maybe 12,000 people or more. Because Jesus took what was given to him, he took what was surrendered to him, he multiplied it and he used it to touch the world. The part of the world he was in right then. And that's what he wants to do in and through us. He wants to use what he's already given us. I mean, it's not like we're surrendering something. I don't want to give this up because I, this mine. Well, yeah, it's yours. Maybe you worked hard to earn the money. I'm not going to sing the song. You know, whatever. But God's the one that ultimately gave it to you. And so when we give Jesus what we have, we surrender that to him. There's an old saying, many of you might remember, little is much when God is with it, right? So many stories in the Bible where God used something that was totally insignificant. Moses' stick, right? Just a piece of wood that he either picked up off the ground or cut from a dead tree or maybe a live tree, whatever. It's just a stick. God used it to do miracles, And to be the symbol of power and authority as Moses led God's people, millions of people, out of slavery in Egypt. That became the symbol of what God did. You see David's sling. You see the poor widow, we don't even know her name, who had flour and oil and was getting ready to make a last meal for her and her son before they die because of the famine. And the prophet says, nope, make some stuff for me because that's what God says to do and he'll make sure you never do without. And she didn't because it kept multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. We see the story of a little servant girl who was captured in a raid. Now she's a slave and her master has leprosy. Someone of no consequence in their culture or even in that household. But God uses her to tell him that there's a God in the nation over there that can heal you. And he goes and he experiences God's healing. Who would ever thought that that little girl, the slave captured in a raid, could have, could have such a powerful impact? I mean, there's story after story after story, this little boy's lunch. Even Paul testified, and we look back at Paul as the great evangelist missionary that God used phenomenally in the first century to take the gospel all over the Roman Empire. And he says, you know what? I'm nothing and I'm nobody. And he wasn't just being humble, false or otherwise. And he wrote about how God takes the things that are of no account, things that are weak, Things that people would look at as foolishness and he uses those to do powerful things and to shame the wise. Can I tell you that I think sometimes the weaker we sometimes we feel, the less worthy, the less prepared, the less resourced we feel, if we're willing to come to God, the more he can use us. I believe that with all my heart. So give Jesus what you have. And again, that's scary. Well, if I... Do what I think he wants me to do with my money. Am I going to have enough money for me? If I, if I do what he would think he wants me to do with my occupation, will I be happy? If I do what I think he wants me to do with this, you know, will, how would it all work? Can I tell you that God knows what's best for you? And in the midst of asking you for things to do stuff for him, he knows that if you follow his plan, you're going to be much better off, not just in eternity, but today and in this life, than if you follow your own plan. I say that so many times. God has a much better plan for your life than you can ever come up with for yourself. 
The third thing is this, take the next step. What does that mean? Just do the next thing God told you to do. Whatever God's told you to do, take the next step. What is the next step? He told you to love that person. What's the next step? Maybe you ought to introduce yourself to him. Maybe you did, and things aren't so cool between you and him. Maybe the next step is to try to fix things up. I I don't know. Whatever that next step is. In this story, we see what they did. What did Jesus tell them to do? He said, have them sit down in groups of 50. I can do that. I assume that all 12 disciples could count. If not, maybe they did it in pairs. I don't know. But I can't give them food, but I can get them in groups of 50. So that was the next step. So they did that. You know what? God or Jesus is not going to ask us to do the impossible as the next step. So do the next step. And the next step, just take the next step. Do what you can do. Jesus didn't ask them to do the impossible here. He did that. He asked them to do the simple thing. So do what you can. Now, this means that you do need to do what you can. Say, oh, God, I want you to do the impossible for me, uh, through me. I'm going to sit back and wait for it. No, you got to do what you can. You know, in my own life, it's like, God, I, I, I pray all the time. I wrestle with this all the time, guys. I want to tell you this. I, I, I've shared this with you before. The idea of trying to lead this church, and we've got phenomenal staff and leaders, all, we all do it together, but as the lead pastor, as the shepherd over this flock, it, it, it's, it's very daunting. Whether you can sense that or not, it's like, God, I don't, I'll be honest with you, it's impossible for me. I know I have to depend on him. And many times it's just taking the next step. But I have to do my part. I don't do like I heard one pastor did, and that is that when it was time for him to preach, he would just, you know, get alone for a few minutes before the service and take his Bible and open it and put it on his head and say, God, just transfer it in there, and then he would get up and preach. I heard that his people uh, reaped the benefits of the way he did that. No, I, I study. I spend time, I dig in, and I try to, you know, really get into it. So I do what I can, but even then it's like, God, I don't know. I've said this before, I'll finish a message, I got my notes, it's like, God, I don't know if this is going to do it. And to be honest with you, God says, no, by itself it won't, but that's okay, I'm going to help you. And how many times I've sensed his help. But that applies to every area. So take the next step. You know, there are some of you, God's already been speaking to you, even before you got here, maybe for over a period of time. You know what you're supposed to do. You know what God's asked you to do. You know it's impossible by yourself, and you're just waiting, and God says, just take the next step. Two things. Either you already know the next step, and you just need to do it, and say, God, I'm going to trust you. If I step out in obedience with what you asked me to do, you're going to give me the next step, and the next step, and the next step. Or if you're in the situation, say, I don't know what the next step is, then you've got to pray. And ask God to show you. The next thing here, there's only two left. Look to Jesus for what is needed. Look to Jesus for what is needed. You know, they took the steps they could, but then they had to go back to Jesus to get the bread and the fish. They couldn't multiply it, but Jesus could. I'll be honest with you, I have a feeling that they didn't even know what Jesus was going to do. And that's an important key thought, too. There's times Jesus will say, here's the next step, this is what you need to do, and we don't understand. Well, what's he doing? How's he going to, how's this going to work? What difference is it going to make if we have him sit down in groups of 50? But they did it anyway. Sometimes we got to do the same thing. 
We've got to just take that next step, whether we understand what's happening or not, what God's going to do through it or not. we just got to take that next step. And then we have to look to Jesus for what's needed. And they did. Apparently, it's not in the passage, but Jesus said, once you get them all settled, come back here, and we'll go the next next thing. And he, he began to do this. So, so Jesus took it, and he took the bread, and he took the fish, and it says he blessed it, which basically means he thanked God for it. And then he started passing it out. And the last thing is trust Jesus. I mean, that's implicit all the way along. To do all these things, you just got to trust Jesus. You got to trust that he knows what he's doing. You got to trust that he's going to take care of it, that he's going to help you with what seems impossible. So they began to distribute it. And I, I can't help but imagine the amazement. You know, at what point did the bread and the fish begin to multiply? We don't know, but it did. I mean, Jesus, probably after he blessed it, because if it was a lot bigger, it would be harder for him to hold up, and that's the way they did it, hold it up and bless, ask God, thank God for it and stuff. But I just have this feeling that, you know, the disciples each had their basket. They came to Jesus, and Jesus has got the bread and the fish. Whether he put it in the basket, and it was like a, I don't think, I'm not minimizing this, it's like a magician thing where Jesus just starts bringing out a whole bunch of stuff that never wasn't in there. Or whether it was right there out in the open, he just began to tear loaves in half, and then began to put it in the disciples' baskets, and, you know, but I have a feeling, again, we don't know because it doesn't say in the story, but I have a feeling that it multiplied as Jesus broke it, for sure. And that maybe it even filled the disciples' baskets. But there's a chance that as the disciples went out with the baskets and they began to hand it out, that maybe it even multiplied in the baskets. If not, they would have had to go back to Jesus for more. But however it happened, Jesus used the disciples. He did the hard part. He did the impossible. They only needed to do what he asked them to do. And so they trusted Jesus. So many times in the Bible, Jesus asked people to do something very simple and phenomenal things came out of it. Lepers came for healing. Jesus says, just go show yourselves to the priest and they were healed on the way. The blind man came to Jesus. A number of blind men came to Jesus. Just very simple things. One, one it's like, I'm glad that Jesus doesn't ask us to do this or whatever. He, Jesus spit in the mud and rubbed it on his eyes. He said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Very simple thing, and the guy was probably very eager to go wash. But a very simple thing, and the miraculous happened so many times. God told Moses to raise his staff. The Red Sea split. So many things where God took something very simple, asked somebody to do something very simple, and then he did the impossible. And he'll do the same thing through us. As we live our lives... I mean, God may not call us to be a Moses or an Elijah or a disciple like these disciples where they went and spent their lives doing the miraculous. But as we live our lives and we're trying to to please God and, and do what he wants us to do and we're facing these things that seem impossible, God says, I'll help you with the impossible. You do what I enable to you to do and I'll take care of the rest. I think we sell ourselves so short as to what God wants to do and can do in and through us. And so we hold back. We hold back. Now, one little warning before we wrap this up. Don't take this message and these truths and say, well, I'm going to do this great thing for God, and I'm going to step out in faith, and God's not told you to do it. There are a couple examples in Scripture, but lots of examples in history 
of people that say, I'm going to do this great thing for God. And they decided what they were going to do. They, quote, stepped out in faith and fell flat on their faces. Be true for pastors and for churches. You need to hear from God about what God wants you to do. If God tells you to do it, he's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of it. He's going to provide for it. He's going to do the work in and through you. So what will Jesus do through us? Probably not multiplying food. But can I tell you things that are just as significant as far as eternity is concerned? Maybe not flashy things. Maybe not things that you see real obvious. Maybe things that you won't even know until we get to heaven, what God did through us. But if we're willing to say, God, use me. Even and especially in the areas where I feel like I can't make a difference. Because I don't have it. I don't have it. You know, these disciples could have dropped out at any time with all kinds of reasonable excuses. This isn't a good time. This needs too big. I don't have much to offer. I can't do it. I, I don't understand what God's doing. But they chose not to use any of the excuses at their disposal. They just decided to do what Jesus said to do. Jesus wants to work in you. Jesus wants to work through you. But are you willing? Are you following Jesus? Are you, are you loving people? Or trying to, even those, and especially those that are hard to love. Are, are you willing to be used? Are you willing to surrender yourself, your resources to what he wants to do in and through you? Are you willing to obey even when you don't understand how much do you trust Jesus? Let's all stand together. We could add other excuses to the list the disciples could have used. We could say, I'm too old. I'm too young. I've messed up too much. I don't know enough. In fact, you can fill the list for you a whole lot better than I can because you know the list you've already been using. But the question is, will you? Say, God, here I am. Use me. Use me. Here's what I want to do today to conclude our service. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song. And I want you to take the next couple of moments. And we're just going to take a couple of moments. And then we're going to come back. One of us will close our service in prayer. But I want you to take the next couple of moments to respond to what God has spoken to your heart today. And I want to invite you to do what I plan to do. And that is to just step down here and say, God, here I am. I just want to once again surrender myself, who I am, everything I have to you, and say, God, I want to be used by you. Even if it's tough, even if it's hard, even if it's, it seems impossible, but God, I want, to, I want to see you work in my life. I want to see you work in my marriage. I want to see you work in my family, in my workplace. I want you to use me in this church. I want you to use me wherever I go. And so, Lord, I'm just surrendering to you. Say, well, do I have to come down there to do that? No. In fact, some of you may not be able to physically in a safe way, and that's fine. But there's something about taking a step of faith that's an illustrated act of surrender. So that's what I'm going to invite you to do. Our worship team's going to sing, and let's respond, let's pray. We'll close in a couple of moments. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
the presence of the Lord is in this place. God has spoken a word to our hearts today through our pastor. And we have a choice. We can walk out of here and say, wow, that was a good word. Or we can walk out of here and say, God, help me to apply this word. Help me to live out your word, to welcome others into my life, to love them, to speak to them about your love, to live the example before them of who you are. Father, I praise you, Lord. I honor you and I thank you for your word today. God, I pray that we would apply it to our lives. We would live it out every day, oh God, in every area of our lives. Because God, when we do that, you bring the increase. You provide for whatever you've asked us to do. It's a faith walk. It's a trust walk. Help us to walk out our lives in faith and trust in you, Lord Jesus. God, I speak blessings over your people today. Meet their every need. Keep them strong and healthy and close to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray and everybody says, amen. God bless you. Share the love of Jesus with everyone as you go. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 